Well, again, thank you guys for being here. And thank you guys for joining us on the YouTube stream that had to join online. Some people already said, hey, I'm done for the semester. I'm going home. All my classes are online. There's no point in me being here. So I'm going to go home and just watch Kyle on YouTube. And on some level, I don't blame you. But those are there in person. <laughs> I'm glad to see, uh, see your faces up there. Um, it's going to be good. It's going to be good. My parents, some of you guys have met my parents. My parents met in college. They met at Auburn University in Alabama. Uh, neither of my parents are architects, but they, they met in the architecture program because as freshmen, they both thought they wanted to be uh, architects, right? And so, so they uh, were, were met in class. They, they got to know each other. Both my parents were raised uh, in church. And, um, and they're looking for, for a Christian, right, person. Uh, and my mom especially had, I mean, had some real high standards, right? Uh, but they did notice each other. They noticed each other uh, in architecture class. They said, hey, man, he's good looking. Hey, she's good looking. They, they noticed each other. They were interested. And they started talking. Uh, but mom, mom had high standards. And so there was, there was one thing she wasn't going to budge on, right? So my dad... I mean, granted, it's, it's the 70s, uh, and, and, and part of his culture, but my dad in, in college, man he, man, he smoked. He smoked pot. He smoked weed. And my mom said, hey, I'm not going to date a pothead, right? I'm not going to date a guy that does drugs. So if you want to date me, you're going to have to give that up, right? She, she had a standard. Now, I'm not going to date you if you're going to do that stuff. Uh, and and uh, you know, her, her dad had sent her off to college. And he told her, my mom's name's Linda, man, don't bring home any long-haired hippies, right? And so my dad, and he was a hippie, right? He had the, the, the bell bottoms, he had the long hair, he had the shell necklace. Uh, and she said, man, I might could get some of that past my dad, but, but there's no way, man. You've got to give up smoking weed. Uh, and so my dad's like, yeah, no problem, right? And he gave it up. He said, no, it's worth it. It's worth it. He wanted to date my mom. He said, okay, this girl is worth it. Do I enjoy doing this thing? Well, of course. He wouldn't have did it if he didn't enjoy it. He said, it's worth it to date her, right? It's worth it to have a relationship with her. A relationship with my mom would cost him something, right? A relationship with my mom would cost my dad something. There was a cost he was willing to pay, right? Because he would say, she is 100% worth that cost. But it meant he had to give up something, right? It cost him something to have a relationship with my mom. How many of you guys have ever been to a theme park before? Been to a Six Flags uh, been to a Disney World, Disneyland, maybe been to before it closed, uh, uh, Opryland, no, uh, yeah, Opryland, or there's, there's a Dol Dolly Parton World, Dollywood, uh, on the other side of the state. Been to a theme park before, right? And so, so theme parks are a lot of fun, and you see the ads, you say, man, I want to go ride that roller coaster. Disney World's always got some new attraction, right, that they're promoting. It's like, man, I've not been to Disney World in years, but I need to go back because there's this big attraction. Is Disney World expensive? Yeah, it's big time expensive, right? So Disney World's fun, but it's going to cost you something. It's going to cost you a lot of something. Uh, and even if you're like, hey, I got a cousin that can get us in for free and whatever, it's no big deal. It's still going to cost you like the gas, right? And the hotel stay and the food and all these things. It's still a hefty cost. And now you may say, after that week at Disney World, wow, that was so much fun. It was worth the cost. It was worth the $18,000 or whatever that I spent to get in the gates here at Disney World. You may say it was worth the cost, but there definitely is a cost, right? Uh, to go to Disney World, there is a cost. It's going to cost you something. You may say it was totally worth it, but there's still a cost. It's going to cost you something. It's going to cost you a lot. Can I drop a spiritual truth on you? The salvation that God gives us in Christ is completely free. It's completely free. There's no way to earn 
or pay for God's grace, right? There's no way to earn or deserve his grace, his favor. It's completely free for everyone that believes on Jesus because of what he did for us on the cross. Salvation is free. But following Jesus, following Jesus is going to cost you something. It's going to cost you something. Maybe it'll cost you friends. Maybe it'll cost you activities you enjoy doing. But, man, that's not what God has for you. Will it be worth it? 100%. 100%. Following Jesus is worth it. But following Jesus will cost you. It'll cost you. And not only you, it's going to cost the people around you as well. Do you know your pursuit of God touches everyone in your life? Your pursuit of God is going to cost your friends something. It's going to cost your family members something. It's going to cost your community something in a variety of different ways. And as the kingdom of God advances... Here on this University of Memphis campus, of course, we pray that it does. God, your kingdom come, your will be done as the kingdom of God advances and transforms the campus, transforms the city, transforms the culture. All of that comes at a great cost. And so that's what we're talking about tonight. Following Jesus, there's a cost. It's going to cost you something. It's going to cost those around you something. All this year, we've been studying the New Testament book of Acts and our times together on Thursday nights. We've been talking about finding our purpose in life through realizing that you have been sent by God. Each and every one of you have been sent by God with a purpose, right? And so when you step into a situation, you are not there on accident. You don't just happen to be there. You've been sent by God on purpose and for purpose, Right, And so, so understanding that is something we've been diving into as we've been studying the New Testament book of Acts, reading about the early church, reading about the missionary journeys of, of Paul and Barnabas and Silas and how God used them as they traveled from city to city and talking about how God wants to use you to impact the lives of the people around you. Last week we saw how great honor for the name of Jesus spread throughout the city of Ephesus. The people there in Ephesus witnessed Paul work amazing miracles in the name of Jesus And so the people that didn't even follow Jesus started using the name of Jesus in spells and incantations to cast out evil spirits. That's wild, right? So people that don't even follow Jesus started to use his name as part of their incantation to cast out evil spirits. We talked about this last week. And in one of these encounters, a possessed man overwhelms this group of exorcists, sending him running running away stripped and beaten, right? He beats him up, sends him running away. He said, Jesus, I know, you know, Paula, I've heard of, I don't know who you guys are. And he overwhelms these guys. And, and, and so this event, it shook the city, right? These people are like, what is going on? And then the reverence, that reverence, that holy reverence, respect for the name of Jesus just rose and rose and rose. People who've been practicing witchcraft started burning their spell books and scrolls in the public square in a giant bonfire. Millions of dollars worth of these items because they began to honor the name of Jesus and they were convicted of their sinfulness. So, man, there's something to this Jesus and this stuff has got to go. It's got to go. So tonight, we're going to wrap up our series by continuing to build off this idea of the tremendous cost these believers were willing to pay to follow Jesus. Why were these people willing to pay such a high price to get closer to God? Right? It cost my dad something right, to get closer to my mom, to have a relationship with my mom. It cost him something. Right? Why were these people willing to pay such a high price to have a relationship with God, to get close to God? And are we willing to make those same kinds of sacrifices ourselves, no matter what the cost, if it means we can get closer to God? Right? Are we willing to pay any price, pay any cost, give up anything, if it means we can 
have God. It means we can have more of Him in our life. We can draw closer to Him. Following Jesus will always cost us something. Salvation is free. You can't earn it or deserve it. It's the free gift of God in Christ because of what He did for you on the cross. It's free. God loves you. He wants to save you. You can't earn it. You can't buy it. It's free. Following Jesus, though, is costly. You guys hear the difference? Following Jesus is going to cost you everything, and not just you, but the people around you. Embracing our identity as individuals who have been sent by Jesus into this world with purpose is going to cost us something. It's also going to cost something of our friends, our family, and our community as well. So in the text we're looking at tonight, we're going to see how surrendering to Jesus not only costs the believers in Ephesus something, Uh, It also exacted a cost on their entire community. So Paul had been preaching there in the city. He's preaching the gospel. He's preaching the good good news about Jesus. Hey, God loves you, and he sent his son to die for you. And Jesus raised from the dead three days later, proving he was who he says he was. And by faith in Jesus, you can be made right with God, have a home in heaven. Your whole life can be made new. This is what he's preaching. And so Paul's preaching for Jesus. He's also preaching against serving these Idols, these man-made gods and idols and these false religions, he's preaching against it. So as Paul is preaching against man-made idols, that hurts the business of the local silversmiths who crafted those idols for a living. Can you imagine you're in Ephesus and your job is you, you hammer out the idols, you chisel, chisel them out, you carve them up, and you set them in a row and you, you sell them each weekday. Man, people come up and they buy your idols and you've got this guy yelling and preaching for two years about how, man, these things are fake and stop buying these things and don't do Man, that's going to affect you, right? And so that's what we're going to see happen. So in response, these craftsmen lead a mob and a riot against the believers in Ephesus. Let's take a look at it. Acts chapter 19, starting in verse 23. About that time, serious trouble developed in Ephesus concerning the way. Remember we said last week the way was just another word for Christians. It was another word for for believers, followers of Jesus. That was one of their nicknames at that time was the way. That sounds kind of hip. Sounds kind of cool. The way. Verse 24, it began with Demetrius, a silversmith who had a large business manufacturing silver shrines of the Greek goddess Artemis. And he kept many craftsmen busy. Artemis was the Greek goddess of the hunt. She was one of the most popular, most worshipped gods, goddesses in the whole region, right? She was definitely uh, the most worshipped there there in the the, the province of Asia, what's going to be modern-day Turkey, where Ephesus is. Uh, There there in Ephesus uh, was the temple to Artemis, which we'll talk about in a minute, but it was one one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, just this amazing temple to this Greek goddess of the hunt, Artemis. So this guy, he's got a whole business just building shrines to Artemis, just building idols. He's employing other people. Verse 25, so he calls all the craftsmen together along with others employed in similar trades and addressed them as follows. Gentlemen, you know that our wealth comes from this business, right? Like we need people to worship Artemis so we can get paid, right? Our, our whole business model relies on people worshiping this, this goddess. Verse 26, but as you have seen and heard, this man Paul has persuaded many people that handmade gods aren't really gods at all. Oops. And he's done this not only here in Ephesus, but throughout the entire province. Of course, I'm not just talking about the loss of public respect for our business. I'm also concerned that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will lose its influence. And that Artemis, the magnificent goddess worshipped throughout the province of Asia and around the world, will be robbed of her great prestige. 
right? He said, we're losing money. But it's not about the money. It's about Artemis, right? She, she deserves this worship. And, and, and man, it's not, not right what they're doing to Artemis. Um, so like I said, Ephesus was the home of the temple of Artemis. Um, and and you, can, you can Google it later. I mean, there's, there's ruins of it. Of course, it's been destroyed, but you can even see some ruins of it. It was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. So people would travel for miles just to come see this temple, worship at this temple. It was amazing. It was beautiful. You had people selling idols and engravings. And so these men were employed in that fashion. Of course, you, would have had, you had a priest, priestesses uh, employed there, there in the temple, a, a whole industry uh, surrounding this temple. It's like, man, you got one of the seven wonders of the world in your city. Like, it's the big tourist attraction, it's going to employ a lot of people. It's going to be a big deal. And so if you've got this missionary there telling people, hey, don't worship Artemis, worship Jesus, it's going to put a hurt, a dent in that industry. You're going to make a lot of people mad. And of course, that's what he did. Paul was preaching the good news of Jesus. But following Jesus meant turning away from all other gods and goddesses and idols. Humans have always struggled with idolatry because at our core, we're made for worship. Right? At our core, we're made for worship. So it's not, it's not just the, the, the uh, Ephesians there in Ephesus have trouble worshiping uh, Artemis. Man, humans throughout history have found some idols to worship, some gods or goddesses to worship, because that's how God made us. God made us to worship. So if we don't worship God, we always end up worship, worshiping something. And even in modern times, right, where we're, uh, those pantheons of gods and goddesses are, are kind of relegated to myth. Oh, we know that's not real. And people still end up worshiping something. Maybe they worship a relationship with a boyfriend or girlfriend. Maybe they worship their cell phone, right, and they're, they're glued to it 25 hours a day, right? Or, or they worship uh, a sports team or, or a controlling substance or alcohol. Everyone finds something that's the focal point of their life, right? And that's what worship boils down to. Man, what is the focal point of your life? What is the thing that gets the most of your attention and love and affection? Right? That's the thing that you worship. Humans are made to worship. Why? Because that's how we're supposed to be oriented to God. Worshiping Him. Loving on Him. But if we don't love God, well, we're going to end up worshiping Something. So idolatry has always been a problem. So throughout Scripture, we see again and again God speaking through the prophets, God speaking through His leaders, saying, turn away from idols and turn back to me. Right? Now give your worship to the Lord. Destroy these idols. Get rid of these idols. It's an ongoing problem. Um, throughout the Bible, God warns His people to turn from idols and turn back to Him. I want to look at this one verse. This is the prophet Isaiah. I always love what Isaiah says about idols here. In Isaiah 44, Starting in verse 19. Um, and if this sounds like he's being like a little snarky, like a little funny with it, it's because he is. He's like making fun. He said, he's talking about these guys who build idols. So the same guy, Demetrius, who's really upset, he's talking about him basically. He says, the person who made the idol never stops to reflect. Like, do you really think about what you're doing? Why? It's just a block of wood. So he, picture, picture the, the guy's cut down a tree. He's dragged in the log. And he's going to make himself an idol. Well, just half of it. Half the log's going to become an idol. The other half is his firewood. So half he chops up and he puts in the fireplace his firewood. He says, I burned half of it for heat and used it to bake my bread and roast my meat. Well, how can the rest of it be God? Right? How can the rest of it be God? Should I bow down and worship a piece of wood? The poor, deluded fool feeds on ashes. He trusts in something that can't help him at all. Yet he cannot bring himself to ask, is this idol I'm holding in my hand a lie? Isaiah is saying, how foolish it is that you would chop down a tree, drag in a log, cut up half of it for firewood, and the other half is God. How can that be? And goodness, 
what if you got it mixed up? What if you accidentally chopped up God and put God in the fireplace and you made the firewood into an idol? It's just saying how silly it is, right? How foolish it is to think that we can make God with our own hands. That's what we do, right? He says we never ask that tough question, is the thing I'm worshiping, holding in my hand, really God, or have I been deceived by a lie? And now I know none of you guys are worshiping Artemis or Zeus or Hermes or Thor or Loki or whatever, but everybody has something that's the focal point of their life, right? Everybody has something that we're worshiping. If it's not Jesus, if it's not Jesus, we've got an idol on our hand, and we need to ask this tough question. Can this thing really save me? Can this thing really give me hope and peace and fulfillment, right? And give my life purpose and meaning? Or am I all caught up in a lie, right? Every one of us needs to deal with that and say, hey, God... I've been giving my attention to something that's worthless, worthless and empty. God, have mercy on me. God, help me to turn away from this idol and turn to you. Help me to give all my worship, all my affection to you. You alone are worthy, God. So at the preaching of the gospel here in Ephesus, people were turning away from these useless idols made by men, and they were turning to Jesus. They say, I don't need this, this carving of Artemis anymore, man. I'm following the living God. I'm following Jesus. And this, of course, makes a tremendous Impact on the idol crafting industry. They're losing money and they're angry. Let's continue in verse 28. So, so Demetrius is getting the crowd stirred up. They're, they're, they're getting super angry. Verse 28, at this their anger boiled and they began shouting, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Right, so they got a chant going, right? It's for Artemis, it's for Artemis. Soon the whole city was filled with confusion. Everyone rushed to the amphitheater, dragging along Gaius and Aristarchus, who were Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia. Paul wanted to go in too, but the believers wouldn't let him. Some of them, uh, some of the officials of the province, friends of Paul, also sent a message to him, begging him not to risk his life by entering the amphitheater. So they're finding Christians, people that they knew traveled with Paul, and they're dragging him. It's, it's a big, angry mob. Paul's like, man, I want to rush in there. Help me. He's like, no, 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 Paul, they're going to tear you to part. Right? Don't, don't go in there. That's wisdom, right? Um, and Paul wasn't afraid. He said, no, 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 don't. Hold up, hold up, Paul. Verse 32, inside the people were all shouting something, some one thing and some another. Everything was in confusion. In fact, most of them didn't even know why they were there. That's mob mentality, right? They just saw a riot was going on. Hey, I want to get in on that. A riot, that's cool. Our mob's going on. I want to get in on that. It says some of them didn't even know why they were there. Oh, we're just shouting about something. We're angry about something. I want, I want in on that. Um, verse 33, the Jews in the crowd pushed Alexander forward and told him to explain the situation. He motioned for silence and tried to speak, but the crowd realized he was a Jew. They started shouting again and kept it up for two hours. Again, this chant, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Luke tells us that, man, this is a chaotic situation. Everything was in, a, in confusion. You have people there that didn't even know why they were there. It was just a mob, and they're excited to be a part of something exciting. Uh, you had some people there that were really upset because their business was being hurt by this, the gospel going forth. Their business was being hurt. These people following Jesus, it cost them something, but now it's costing them something, right? Right? The other, other people following Jesus was costing them something, and they were angry about it. So I was telling you, you know, following Jesus cost you something, but it also cost your friends, 
your family, the people in your community, right? If, if you really let the, the gospel transform your life, it affects more than just you. And so these, these people are really angry, they're upset, and there's this mob mentality. There's this social pressure, right? And this can happen. When you've got a mob, mob of people riled up uh, and upset and, and rioting and, and, and making a big fuss, that the people just get swept up into it. And you've got to be careful, right? When, they're, they're, when there's a mob and there's chanting, you've got people that don't even know why, why they're there. It makes me think of the mob mentality, right, that we see in the Gospels with Jesus. You've got the mob, man, one day saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed be the name of the Lord. And they're laying down palm branches, laying down their coats as Jesus is entering the city. And that same crowd, just a few days later, is yelling, crucify, crucify, put him to death, right? It's like, y'all are the same people, right? And it's like getting swept up in that mob mentality, getting swept up and, and caught up in that social pressure. God has better for you than that, right? God has better for you than going along with the crowd. And, oh, everybody's upset about something. Well, I'm going to be upset about it, too. Okay, well, hold up. Check and see if it's something you really need to get worked up about or not, right? Let's check and see where God's heart is on the issue. Everything was in confusion. Verse 35. At last, the mayor was able to quiet them down enough to speak. Citizens of Ephesus, he said, everyone knows that Ephesus is the official guardian of the temple of the great Artemis, whose image fell down to us from heaven. Okay, since this is undeniable fact, you should stay calm and not do anything rash. You've brought these men here, but they have stolen nothing from the temple and they've not spoken against our goddess. I don't know what this means. We don't know this means necessarily about her image falling down from heaven. Some scholars think maybe like uh, there was a, a, a fallen star, like a meteorite. You know, that, that landed there in the Ephesus area, you know, a, a chunk of meteorite. And that perhaps in the uh, statue of, of Artemis there in the temple of Artemis, that, that meteorite was kind of there in her, her crown. That's a possibility. That's what some, some archaeologists, some scholars think that that's what he's talking about there when he said we saw her fall from the sky, that the, a rock fell from the sky. And they're like, oh, this is from the gods. And it was part of the temple. But we don't know that for sure. But that's our best guess, our best guess there. So the mayor's trying to calm things down. No mayor wants a riot in their city, right? So he's saying, hey, calm down, calm down down. Did they take anything from the temple? No, right? All they're doing is talking. Verse 38. If Demetrius and the craftsmen have a case against them, the courts are in session and the officials can hear this case at once. Let them make formal charges. And if there are any complaints about other matters, they can be settled in a legal assembly. I'm afraid we are in danger of being charged with rioting by the Roman government since there's no cause for all this commotion. And if Rome demands an explanation, we won't know what to say. And then he dismissed them, and they dispersed. So the, uh, Ephesus there was part of the Roman Empire, uh, and it was illegal for them to have these big riots like this. So the mayor's like, y'all are going to get me in trouble. Y'all need to calm down. Everybody go home. Like, we're not allowed to do this. The Roman army is going to come marching in, and it's going to be bad news. Uh, from what I can tell, they didn't do any serious damage. Everybody calm down. Everybody go home. Remember, the, the craftsmen, you know, obviously it was hurting their business, but they, they claimed a spiritual objection. They said, they said uh, you know, it's not just about the money, right? It's about the honor of Artemis. Uh, and and, and they're, bringing, they're bringing prestige and honor away from Artemis. Um, but what was it really about? It was costing them money. It was costing them a lot of money. All these people had started following Jesus, and now it cost the idol craftsmen something as well. And of course, they're not going to say it's about the money. They're going to say it's about the honor of Artemis. And maybe they had, had a love, a faith for Artemis, and it really did hurt their feelings. Um, but, but, but deep down, it was about something else. It was about the money. People do the same thing today, right? And maybe you've been trying to share your faith with someone, and they've raised 
an objection, right? People do the same thing today and will claim an objection to a certain spiritual truth. They say, man, I can't really get behind Christianity because of this. Or, man, I don't, I don't know if I really believe the Bible because of this. Or, or I don't know that I could ever go to church because blank, right? And they, and they raise some kind of objection. But as you talk to them and as you dig deeper, you find out it's not really about that at all. That was just kind of a wall to put up. The other issue is behind that. I mean, something deeper. And, and, and it comes through conversation and getting to know people and loving on them. But so often as human beings, man, we, we put a wall up. We say, this is our objection, but it's not really about that, right? There, there's something else deeper that God wants to deal with. A lot of times it's our sin, right? We, we raise some objection like, I don't know that I can really man, believe this about the Bible. Man, all those supernatural stories, that sounds kind of far. I don't know if I can believe that. But man, deep down... I'm worried, what if it's true? Because then God has a moral standard He's call, calling me to live up to. And if I don't measure up to that, uh, you know, I, I don't want to think that I might be held accountable someday for how I live. Right? So I'm going to say, oh, I don't believe that because of this reason or that reason. So we make those same kind of objections today when really, I mean, the problem deep down, usually our sin, but it's usually something else deep down uh, that needs to be addressed or ministered to. So why? Why here in Ephesus? Why? Were all these people willing to abandon their idols and turn the economy and the culture of a city on its head? Why were they willing to do this? Why were they willing to do this? Because they heard about a God that doesn't live in a temple, right, made by human hands. They heard about a God who cannot be contained in a silver engraving or a silver carving. They heard about the God who created the entire universe and loved them so much that he sent his one and only son to save them, right? And after hearing that, how could they ever go back to idols, right? After knowing that the God created the universe, loves them, sent his son Jesus to save them, they could have all their sins for forgiven, be made brand new. Artemis didn't have anything on that, right? And so these people were turning away um, from, from being deceived by the enemy, man, and turned into Jesus and turned into Jesus, and the church grew in that city. Can I tell you, as you abandon the empty things in your life and follow Jesus, it's going to irritate the people around you as well. Right? As you say, man, I want to get closer to Jesus, so I'm going to give up this habit. Right? I want to get closer to Jesus, so I'm going to give up this destructive activity. I mean, I know it's not good for me. You're going to have friends who are going to be upset about that. Right? You might have family members that are irritated. Like, no, you're changing too much. You're going too far. You're too extreme with it. Now dial it back a little bit. Right? When you start following, really going after Jesus, it might irritate the people around you. Because now it's costing them something, too. Now it's costing them something, too. And as a whole city, a whole community of people begins to radically follow Jesus, every part of the culture will be impacted. The proclamation of the gospel and the advancing of God's kingdom is going to necessarily hurt the businesses of those who profit from vices and idolatry and things that keep people in bondage. You know, our, our drug dealer is going to complain when, when people stop buying their product, right, because they're turning to Jesus and getting free. Will pornography production companies complain when they start losing money as people get free from their sex addictions, right? Say, hey, wait a second. Now you're costing us money. Are people going to get upset as the culture changes, right? But that's the dream, right? That those that profit off of bondage and suffering and the sin of others, that as the culture transforms, those people will be out of business, right? There wouldn't, there wouldn't still be a business. There wouldn't still be people paying for things that destroy people's lives and hold people in bondage. Those people would have to find a new line of work because the kingdom of Jesus is touching every part of the culture. Can you dream that with me? Can God do that? Can he do that here in Memphis? Can he so transform our campus? There wouldn't be anybody buying drugs. 
Can he so transform our city? Man, that the different things, man, the different companies and businesses, that their whole business model is given into a vice, given into an addiction, something that keeps people in bondage, something that, 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 that keeps people oppressed, feeds off of suffering. If their whole business model is tied to sin, that there wouldn't be any business for them, that, that's the dream, right? That the, the, the kingdom of Jesus would so advance in our city that it would change everything. And it costs us something to follow Jesus, but man, it would cost our city something. And it transformed the culture. That's the dream. That's what we hope to see. Jesus taught his followers to really consider the cost before committing their lives to him. Say, it's going to cost you something. I'm going to be upfront about that. It's going to cost you something because there is a real cost. And Jesus didn't want them to be ignorant of it. This is our last verse we're going to look at tonight. But he says in Luke chapter 14, this is Jesus talking. Luke 14, verse 27. And if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. But don't begin until you count the cost. He's calling them to be his disciple. Come and follow me. Pick up your cross and follow me. But don't begin until you count the cost. Don't say, yes, yes, I'm going to follow you, Jesus. I'll follow you anywhere. I'll go anywhere. Where are we going? No, no, wait. Hold on. Don't just don't just because it's an emotional reaction. Don't just because it's the mob mentality and all your friends are running to the front. I want to, I want to follow you, Jesus, forever. Wait. Count the cost because it's going to cost you something. It's going to cost you something. For who would begin constructing a building without first calculating the cost to see if there's enough money to finish it? Otherwise, you might complete only the foundation before running out of money and everyone would laugh at you. They would say, there's a person who started that building and couldn't afford to finish it. Right? When you're going to go, go build a house someday. Some of you guys will buy a house. Some of you guys may, you and your spouse may say, hey, we want to we build our own house. We're just going to purchase some land. And we're going to meet with the architect. We're going to design it. We're going to build this house. But what you're going to do first with the architect, architect, with the contractors, you're going to work up a budget. How much is all this going to cost? You're not, not, hey, just start building. We'll just start throwing money at it. And then the money runs out and you got like half a house. That's no good, right? No one starts a building project without first counting the cost. Verse 31, or he says, what king would go to war against another king without first sitting down with his counselors and discussing whether his army of 10,000 could defeat the 20,000 soldiers marching against him? And if he can't, he'll send a delegation to discuss the terms of peace while the enemy's still far away. Verse 33, this is it. So you cannot become my disciple without giving up everything you own. He says, I want you to count the cost. I want you to count the cost. I want you to think about what it's going to cost you to follow Jesus because you can't really be a disciple of Jesus without giving up everything. Everything. That's the cost. Everything. Everything. Salvation is free. And it's a free gift of God. But also following Jesus costs you everything. Everything about your life. Everything about your life is laid on the table saying, God, you can have it all. Do, do with it whatever you please. You know, if I'm holding back... Any part of my life for myself? Say, okay, God, you can have these things, but I'm holding this part back for me. Does God have everything? No. Is he really Lord of my life? If I'm giving him like 65% and I'm holding on to this stuff? No, he's not Lord of my life. I'm messing around, right? So it's going to cost you everything. So count that cost first before you say, yes, Jesus, I'm all in for you. Everything, that's the cost. Following Jesus will cost you. But I want to tell you, friends, it's so worth it. So worth it. Right, some you, someday you may go to Disney World and say, hey, that cost me $85,000, but it was worth it. 
following Jesus is so much more worth it, right? It's worth so much more than anything we give up, any, anything we lay down, anything we give up for Jesus is nothing compared to what we get in exchange. And the blessings we get from Him, the closeness, the peace, the love, the joy we enjoy from having close relationship with Jesus. Whatever sins we're messing around with, whatever struggles, temptations we're playing around with, man, it's not worth holding on to that stuff, right? Whatever cost we have to pay to get more of God in our life, whatever we need to surrender, lay down to get more of God in our life, it's worth it because He's so good. He's so good. He's so beautiful. He's so wonderful, right, that it's 100% worth it, whatever the cost. To have more of God. Amen? He's worth it. He's worth it. Whatever the cost. I'm going to wrap up with this. So the whole series is called Sent. We've been calling the series Sent. S-E-N-T. Because we've been sent by God. Right? When I want to send something, I go to the post office. Right? I sent something actually earlier this week. I had a church say, hey, can you send us some more like prayer cards for Calphus? We're going to be praying for Calphus. So I went to the post office and mailed it. It costs to send something, right? There's always a cost involved. I don't go to the post office and say, would you pl- please mail this pretty please? And they say, okay, this one's on us. No, nope, it's never on them. It's always me. I pay, right? And, it, and the prices of postage have gone like this, up and up and up and up and up over the last several years. Um, it's expensive to mail something. You guys ever tried to mail like a big package to somebody? And then they say, yeah, that'll be like $40. Like, oh, I'll figure out another way to get it to them, right? Um, We're sent people. But it's going to cost something to send you. Part of it's a cost you've got to be willing to pay. Part of it's a cost the people around you are going to pay, whether they are maybe willing or not. What is it going to cost you to really follow Jesus? You may say, I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm a Christian. What's it going to cost you, though, to really follow Jesus and be that God I'm all in 100% I give you everything and what are we still holding back what does Jesus still need from us where we can say no I've given everything I've surrendered everything what's it going to cost you to really follow Jesus to be sent by Jesus and live that life that transforms the community and culture around you I want to take some time for us just to pray and ask God that Right, just, God, God what, what cost would you have me pay? What, what are, what's a cost maybe I've not been willing to pay? Maybe what's the thing I've maybe been holding back for myself? Jack, would you mind to play quietly? Or just take, take some time in prayer? Um, the answer may be different for everybody, right? Only you know your heart, right? That's between you and the Holy Spirit. As we think about the cost, we think about Jesus says, hey, it's going to cost you everything. Okay, God, what am I still holding back for me? If my room is a house, right, and I say, okay, God, you can go in the living room and the kitchen, the dining room. You can go in this bedroom and this bedroom over here. Don't go in this one closet, though, right? That's my closet, Jesus. You don't, you don't want to go in there. Have I really given Jesus everything? So I say, you got the whole house except there's like one cabinet. It's like it's a small cabinet, Lord. You're hardly even going to miss it. But have I given him everything? No. But only you know what that is in your heart. Only you know, God, I've come up to like 80, 90, whatever percent, but but man, I don't know if I can go all in. That cost is so high. It's worth it. I promise you it's worth it to be all in for Jesus. Nothing will compare, man, to the the closeness you have with him, the closeness of that relationship, all the ways he's going to bless you for that closeness. Is there anything in my life that's an idol? 
that it, that it gets more of my focus and attention than it should, that's drawing my focus from God. And if there's anything where it's like, man, I didn't, I didn't have time to, to pray today, I didn't have time to read the Bible today, but man, I had hours to spend on blank, well, that thing might be an idol, right? But you know what it is for you. Could you guys close your eyes and just take some time before the Lord? God, we want to do business with you tonight. This is the conclusion of our series about being sent. But God, help us to, to, to not, not, not be ignorant of the fact that being sent is going to cost us something. If we really want to be used by you, if we really want to be used by you to reach the people around us, to transform our friend groups and families, to transform this campus, this community, this city, to see your kingdom advance, God, it's going to cost us something. God, would you search our hearts? Help us to be willing to pay the price, whatever it is, to have more of you in our life. If there's things that we need to surrender right now, God, by your grace, help us to let go of those things. Because they don't even compare to how wonderful it is to have more of you with us, Jesus. Praise you, God. Praise you, God. Holy Spirit, search our hearts. Would you put your finger on whatever it is for us? that we've been holding back, that we say, ah, it's a cost I wasn't really willing to pay. But Lord, you demand everything. Ask God what it is for you.